If you would, uh, take out your Bibles or the North Point app, open that up. Go to John chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 3. We're in this series of messages where we've been talking about what matters at North Point. What matters at North Point. We've, uh, we've, we've talked about big stuff, that, that the Bible matters. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe that, the, that, the, that um, the Bible gives us direction on how to live, how to follow uh, Jesus, how to be in a relationship with God. Bible matters, that God matters, that he is eternal. He's the one who created us. He is, um, he's uh, all-powerful. He's everywhere. He loves us. Um, he's this incredible combination of justice and grace of compassion and mercy and uh, holiness and righteousness. Um, we believe that about God. Well, we believe in Jesus, that Jesus was God come down to earth in flesh, that Jesus was fully God, fully man, that, that he was God with skin on, and that he went to the cross and died for us. That's what we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper. Um, we believe that the Holy Spirit is promised to people who are disciples of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes in and lives inside us and guides us on a daily basis, leads us into truth, helps us understand who God is and how to follow him. And we believe that people matter to God. Last week's message was really kind of the first in, in three messages that are kind of related to each other, all related to the, to the pe- people matter to God piece. The first is to just understand how uh, it's so important to understand that God cares about us, that we matter to God. Today we're talking about how to have a relationship with him, what that looks like, um, salvation. We're gonna take a look at what at the Bible says about that. And next week we're really gonna be talking about, okay, if we're in relationship with God, what's that look like for us collectively? Um, so some, some one more week in this series and uh, then we've got a really cool series starting after that called Not My Jesus. Um, let, me, let me just say this as, a, as kind of a foundation for this message. And this is, this is critical um, because it impacts all of us. Before we begin to talk about how to have a relationship with God, understand that this truth is absolutely true. We can't set the terms for a saving relationship with God. Only he can. The reason that I want to just let that settle for a second is because I have conversations and you have conversations all the time that go like this. You know what? I'm cool with God. He's cool with me. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really wait, fill in the blank. But I, I'm sure it's okay because I'm okay with God and it's all going to be okay. We can't set the terms for a saving relationship with God. Only God can. Um, it's not us. It's God who, who establishes that term. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Anybody ever bought a house? You go through the process of buying a house. What happens? You make an offer on the house, but who determines the terms for the purchase of the house? The seller does, not the buyer. The seller says, yes, I'll accept those terms. The seller is in charge of that. Same thing with a car. You go to buy a car, and you end up in this series of negotiations, right? They say this much, you say this much, they say this much, you say that. You finally land where it is. Ultimately, who decides whether or not they're going to sell the car? The seller does. Our sin has separated us from God. Our sin has pushed us away from God. And God is the only one who can determine 
what brings us back into relationship with him. It's not us. Um, that's that's uh, critical. Um, let me say related to that, we can establish the terms of our relationship with God. God will allow us to do that. So if I want God to live on the margins of my life, God will live on the margins of my life. He won't force himself on anyone, right? If I want to have complete control of my life, and I, yeah, I believe in God, but I want to be in control of my life, God will let me be in control of my life. He won't force himself. But it does cause that Dr. Phil question to bubble to the top of your life, right? How's that working for you, uh, right? When, when we're in complete control. When we, try and, when we try and set the terms of our relationship with God, we effectively take the place of God in our lives. We say, I know what's better. I have the ability to make that choice. And we supplant God. We take the place of God in our life. How's that working for you? John chapter 3. Let's go there. John chapter 3. Uh, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do the miracles that you've performed if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again. If you've ever heard that phrase where somebody says, hey, are you a born again Christian? That's where that phrase comes from here in John chapter 3. Charles Colson um, was the right-hand man of Richard Nixon um, in the Watergate uh, process in the early 70s. He ultimately was convicted and, and um, put into jail. He went from being one of the most powerful men on the planet to going to jail. And in the midst of that, uh, in the midst of his spiral, he came to faith in Jesus. He wrote a book about his conversion called Born Again. Born Again. Uh, how could someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Born again, you must be born again. Being born again matters. We're in this series, what matters? Being born again matters because we have because of our sin we have been separated from God the the bible tells us that we've all sinned and that our sin separates us from God Romans 3 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God Romans 6 the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus for all of us, when we sin, it creates this chasm in our relationship with God that can't be bridged on our end by ourselves. 
Yeah, uh, you know, we were, we were talking in our life group this past Wednesday, talking about last week's message, people matter to God. And, and one of the people in our life group said, is it, is it really that simple that our sin separates us from God and God gives grace to allow us to come back into relationship with him? Is it really that simple that we just have to accept that grace? The answer is yes. We don't have to, we don't, in order to be a follower of Jesus, we don't have to do a whole bunch of stuff. We don't have to go to Jerusalem and do a spiritual pilgrimage to Golgotha and see the place where they think Jesus was crucified. We don't have to do that. We don't have to beat ourselves with chains. We don't have to go to a monastery and sit in silence for days or weeks on on end. In order to be a follower of Jesus, we don't have to become a Republican. Think about that for a second. In order to be a follower of Jesus, you don't have to dress like the Duggars. You don't have to grow a beard like the Robertsons, right? And you don't have to make Chick-fil-A your favorite restaurant. (laughs) But you do have to be born again. You do have to have this relationship with Jesus that changes everything. It's more than a worldview, more than a philosophy, more than a moral code. So what are God's terms? How is it that we go through that process of being born again? Being born again, is, it's not a checkoff list. There's not any place that you can go in Scripture that it's like, okay, in this passage of Scripture, it gives everything that you need to do. If I do those things and check them off, then, then I'm good. It, it's not that way at all. That, that's frustrating for some of you who are engineers and lawyers, right? Because you want to look at the list and you want to be able to say, yep, I dotted that I, I crossed that T, everything is good. But becoming a disciple of Jesus Jesus isn't about doing all the right things and checking them off a list. It's about having a relationship with God through Jesus. It's kind of like saying, you know, I want to have a great relationship. I want to have a great marriage with this woman. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask her out on a date, and she's going to say yes. I'm going to buy her flowers. Um, We're going to go on romantic walks along the beach of Muskrat Lake. It's going to be the best thing in the world. I'm going to ask her to marry me. Check. She's going to say yes. Check. We're going, to go on a be- we're going to have a beautiful wedding ceremony, check. We're going to go on a great honeymoon, check. We're going to have kids, check. We're going to buy a house, check. I'm going to trade in my Trans Am for a minivan, check. We're even going to plan and save for our future, check. We might even live in the same house, check, and sleep in the same bed, check. But does that mean that I'll have a good marriage? Not at all. Being in the right relationship with Jesus is not about checking things off. It's about being born again, having our heart change, about living out of the overflow of our relationship with him. God deals with us each individually. He does, it's not a one-size-fits-all, but Scripture does describe for us what it looked like when people followed Jesus. And Scripture does give specific teaching about how you take those steps, what's involved in that. That's what I want to look at this morning. 
When, when you begin to look, you begin to see the threads of Scripture create this tapestry that describes what it looks like to be born again and, and how that relationship grows. What's it take for me to have a deep relationship with God? What's, what's that look like? It starts with belief, with believing that God is who he said he is, believing that Jesus is who he said he is. In that passage from John 3 of, with Nicodemus, Jesus finishes his interaction with, G, with Nicodemus with these very familiar words. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him could be saved. It starts with belief. Now, now let me just pause for a second and say this, because in our culture, in our church culture, we say, you know what, if you believe, that's enough. I, you know, I believe John three sixteen. I believe in God, everything's good. I believe in God. James 2 says, you believe that God is one? That's great. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's about more than belief. It's about more than just acknowledging that, that God is there, that Jesus is his son. What's it take for me to have a deep relationship with, with God? It, it takes not just belief, it takes faith. Faith is putting that belief into action. It's allowing that belief to begin to permeate every part of our life. Ephesians 2 says, it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. God's grace is what makes our relationship with him possible. It's all dependent on God's grace. Our faith is what makes that, rela- that relationship a reality. God's grace makes it possible. Our faith makes it a reality. Let, um, let me describe it this way, I, and I may have shared an illustration like this before, but um, if, if I'm driving down the road and I'm going 60 and a 35, and the officer comes up behind me, turns his, his lights on, and he pulls me over, and let's say it's one of the officers who are part of North Point. And um, I, you know, I roll down the window, and he says, Rubal, what are you doing? You're going 60 and a 35. And I say, eh, yeah. He said, you know what, here's the deal. The police chief has given, cl- uh, given a clear directive. Anybody that is speeding has to get a ticket. I've got to write you a ticket. Now, do I deserve that? Yeah, is that justice? Absolutely. But if that officer says, Ruble, what are you doing? Man, you can't drive that fast. Look, slow down. Drive the speed limit. I'm not going to write you a ticket. What has he given me? He's given me mercy, right? He's, He's withheld the punishment. He's given me mercy. But if he says to me, hey, look, here's the deal. The police chief said it. We got to write tickets. And I'm going to write you the ticket, but I'm going to pay the fine. And I'm going to put the points on my record so that you stay clean. That's grace. That's grace. That's the picture of what Jesus has done for us. Now, for me, the next day, I go home and I think, oh yeah, he said that. I'm going to go down the police station and pay that fine. My act of faith is to not take that step, right? 
My act of faith is to accept what that police officer did on my behalf and to not try and do it on my own, to not try and go and make that right because he already made it right. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, putting that into action. What's it take for me to have a deep relationship with God? It takes repentance. Um, Repentance, in scripture, the word to repent means that you're walking one direction and you stop and turn and walk the other direction. It's this, this movement that comes that, that, that involves this change. But I think when it's explained that way, we miss something because that's, that puts it in a, in, a, in a mental decision, in an act of will. Oh, I'm going to repent, turn and go this way. And that's not what repentance is. Repentance is this combination of our head and our heart working in concert. It's, it's that we come to this place and our heart is moved and we said, I can't keep going that direction any longer. I'm, I may have told you a story about my friend Joel in Virginia. Um, uh, we went to lunch one day and he, he told me that he had been arrested for DWI um, and that once he had gotten out of jail, they had taken his license, taken his car, he went to the place where he was arrested he just, he went with a friend and, and drove to that spot. And he saw, what he had done when he was drunk was he had driven off the road and the car had landed in the front yard of this house. And, and he described for me, and uh, just very vividly, when he got to that spot and looked at the tire tracks in the front yard, that up where the front of the car would have been, there was a big wheel sitting out in the front yard. And, and as the car had passed over the curb, there was a statue of one of those little guys with the lantern And he said when he got to that place and saw the tire tracks and saw where the car was, he just began to shake and quiver because he realized that he was so drunk he didn't see any of that. And if that would have been a kid holding the lantern, if that would have been a child on that big wheel, he would have hit them and killed them. And and what Joel told me was, I will never drink again. He didn't say, I won't drink and drive he said, I will never drink again because he got to this spot and his heart was wrenched by the reality of what his actions could have done. His heart and his head in combination caused this movement in the other direction. That's the picture of repentance. When we realize that our sin takes us to a place that it grieves God and that it has this path of destruction as a result, we say, I can't do that. I've got to go the other direction. That's, that's what it takes. Um, in Acts 2, it's a scripture that we've looked at in the last couple of weeks. Um, Peter the Apostles preach on the day of Pentecost to the Jews, maybe 100,000 Jews around the temple, and they say, you killed the Messiah, the one that, G- that God sent to save us. You killed him. And the people say, what do we do? And Peter said, repent. Change your heart, change your life. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and and so the Holy Spirit will come and live in you. Repentance is such an important part um, of our relationship with God. What's it take for me to have a deep relationship with God? Another piece in that is speaking about that relationship, speaking about my faith in Jesus. Speaking aloud about it. Um, one of the words that's used in scripture is the word confess, but that, that, we don't usually talk about it in those terms. Um, confess, it really means to speak the truth about. 
Romans 10, verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. When we talk about professing our faith, speaking our faith in Jesus, it's not talking about if you believe in Jesus, forward this message to 100 of your friends on Facebook, okay? You know, it's not that at all. It's about talking about what Jesus is doing in your life just as easily as you talk about your husband or your wife or your kids or your grandkids or the activities that you're involved in or the Spartans or the Wolverines or even the Buckeyes. You know what? Speaking about my faith in Jesus, what's it take for me to have a deep relationship with God? It involves taking a public stand. Baptism. Baptism is, is what scripture describes in that. I don't know if you've ever thought about it before. It's so cool to see you guys be baptized today. Woo-hoo. Cool stuff. I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but uh, particularly in the book of Acts, but throughout the New Testament, it talks about baptism a lot. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter began to preach, the first 3,000 converts were baptized on the day of Pentecost. That's what it says. Um, in Acts chapter 8, the first believers in Jesus in Samaria, a, a neighboring country that was, that was uh, half-breeds with the Jews, were baptized. In, in um, Acts chapter 8, Philip is, is talking to an uh, Ethiopian um, government official. And the government official um, asks Philip to teach him. And Philip teaches him, and the, and the government official says, can I be baptized? And he's baptized right there. In Acts 9... Saul, this guy who was persecuting the church, comes to faith. God reaches down and grabs his heart. Saul is baptized as a result of that. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, um, the Holy Spirit comes on him. He and, and, and his, uh, the, his friends are baptized there. Acts 16, um, uh, Paul and Silas baptized the Philippian jailer and his family Baptism is, is all about taking this public step of saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. I will stake my life on him. Jesus said, you know, go into the world, teach them, baptizing them baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach, teach them to obey everything I command. Baptism is a part of scripture. Romans chapter six says this. Paul's talking about God's grace and, and um, his grace being covering our sins and he says what should we say should we continue to sin so that grace can increase should we keep sinning so that God can keep showing us grace no 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 we are those who have died to sin how can we live in it any longer don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father we too may live a new life. Baptism is this symbolic picture. When we go down into the water, as Emma and Maddie and Cooper did today, go down into the water, that the old person dies, just like Jesus when he went into the tomb. That as you come up out of the water, there's a new person there, that God has done this work, and and a, a new life in Christ is there. That's the picture that's there in baptism. Um, First church that we served, I, I remember a, a, a kid who was a part of the youth group there being baptized. I remember talking to him. It, it, it's, it's clear even now after, uh, I don't know, close to 40 years. I said, Carrie, 
how do you feel after he was baptized? And he just looked at me and he said, clean. I feel clean. Baptism is this step that we take in our relationship with God that's an incredible thing. That, that, that's, it's not a checkoff thing. It's something that's just an expression of who we are. Take a look on screen at this video that kind of pictures that in a cool way. This morning, uh, we have accepted Christ as his Savior and as his Lord, and he will demonstrate his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by willingly being baptized this morning. He's been waiting on this day a long time. <laughs> and so, Jordan, upon the profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Go, Jordan. Is that great or what? Just do it. Just do it. Man, I want this so bad. Just do it. Paul said to the church in Galatia, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Jesus have clothed yourselves with Jesus. We've put on Christ. 1 Peter 3, uh, Peter says, In Noah's Ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. This water symbolizes baptism that saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience. Just do it. Just do it toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, in, in, the, in baptism, there's nothing magic. There's nothing magic in the water. There's nothing magic in terms of what the, who the person is that baptizes or what they say. It's all about just responding to God, to what he's done for us. It's an expression of our faith, a public declaration of our allegiance to Jesus. I said early on that, that having the right kind of relationship with Jesus, being born again, is not a about a checkoff list, but it feels like in this message that it, that it could be a checkoff list. Okay, belief, yeah, I believe, check. Faith, yeah, I've got uh, faith, check. Repentance, check. Conf- confession, speaking about Jesus, check. Baptized, yeah, check. Um, that list that, that we've talked through, those things um, are a reflection of what Scripture teaches about how we have a relationship with Jesus. It's not a checkoff list. Um, yeah, the, the question is, can I have a relationship with Jesus without any of those things? Can I have a relationship with Jesus without one or more of those things? I don't know. That's between you and God. But let me ask some questions. Can I have a relationship with my wife, Deb, without believing in her and believing that she loves me? Can I have a relationship without, with my wife, Deb, without having faith that she loves me in return and that she wants the best for me? Can I have a relationship with my wife without turning away from all other women and keeping myself only for her? Can I have a relationship with Deb without telling other people about her, about the things that we experience, the adventures that we're on, the highs and lows? Is, is that possible? Can I have a relationship with Deb without ever standing before a group of people and declaring my love for her in a public kind of way? Maybe I can. 
but why would I want to? Because I love her. People matter to God. You matter to God. His word describes what it looks like to be born again. We're saved by grace through faith. We simply respond in love to what he's already done for us, the way that that love has been shown to us. Here's the last thing that I just want to leave you with. Uh, Your relationship with Jesus, with God, it's up to you. No one can make that decision for you. Parents, you can't make that decision for your kids. Husbands, you can't make it for your wives. Wives, you can't make it for your... It's all up to you. That's a decision that we all make. I just want to give you an opportunity as we finish this service. We're going to sing a song. And and I want to invite you, if if you need to make a decision, if if you need to get something right, maybe as we've talked this morning, there's something you think, you know what, I I got to get that right with God. I want to invite you to just come down and pray. If you want to talk, uh, you know what? There's water in the baptistry. You want to be baptized today. Um, we can do that after the service. That would be, that would be way, way cool. Um, if you need to make a decision, I, I want to invite you to, uh, to share that, to, you know, to talk to God about it, talk to us about it. Let's stand together. Let's sing.